Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. So we come to Acts 11, 19 to 30, and we find Jesus' followers scattered because of persecution. We see at first that they were only telling Jews the word, but then they start to share more widely, and some of them travel to Antioch to begin to speak to the Greeks. Antioch, now a town in Turkey, was at the time the third largest city in the Roman Empire, and was a place known for business, commerce, culture, but also known for immorality. It was known not to be the kind of place that you'd want to go. It became home to people of many different races, with Greek, Roman, Syrian, and Jewish influences on the culture of the town. So we see here that some of Jesus' followers head to Antioch and begin to speak to the Greeks. And this is the beginning of the gospel being shared far more widely than it ever has been before. And I personally found it really helpful as I read this passage to pause and reflect first on my own community, to think about the people I'm surrounded by and I'm sharing life with, even if that is mostly on Zoom or whatever platform you use at the moment. For me, I can do the school run and then I walk down Oxford Road into town for work and in the space of about 30 minutes, I will hear multiple different languages spoken and pass an incredibly diverse range of shops. And I wonder, considering how diverse Reading is as a town, does my circle of influence actually reflect that? And perhaps that's something that you might also want to ponder on this week as you're online or going out into places. What does that, what does that circle of influence, that kind of close community around you look like? So in verse 21, we read, the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So we see here that people were added to the number in this community. But before that, in that verse, it says, the Lord's hand was with them. God was with them. But more than that, God was at work. He was active within their community. It's an expression we've seen when we've looked before at the Old Testament. Like with Moses, you'd read that the Lord's hand was with him. And it's a, God's hand is a sign of him doing something, of him being active and working in that place. So this verse could also be read, because God was with them and he was at work, people believed and turned to God. You can grow a community in number and people could join you, but without God, people aren't gonna turn to God. You can't turn people to him without him being at work in the community. The people believed and they turned, it says. This was faith and repentance, a total change of heart. People were being transformed as they chose to follow God and to join the community. They were cultivating a community that drew close to God and spent time with him. And because of that, others were drawn in, which is a great reminder for us of the importance of focusing on God, on focusing on God being with us. Are we seeking him together in our community? Perhaps that's something you want to ask, and I've been asking myself as I do this. How are you seeking God within community? How might we do that practically? So there are so many different ways, and I'm sure you'd come up with lots of others. This is some other thought I thought of as I prepared. So we can participate on Sundays. 
speaking to and encouraging one another, not inside the building, outside, um, but in person or online. It looks different at the moment, but we still get to do that. Even if you saw someone across the room this morning, you can send them a text and say it was great to see you in that space. We can start being really creative with the way that we encourage each other. Um, or perhaps you didn't see someone and think, actually, I'm going to send them a message just to encourage them. There's so much we can do to, to do that with one another. We can join a small group, so we can regularly meet with others and spend time with God together. We can build relationships with friends where we get in the habit of asking each other, what is God doing in your life? Making that part of our everyday conversation, just a normal thing that we speak about. Where have you seen God moving this week? What is God doing in your life? We can ask our own families, and if we have children, similar questions like asking our kids on the school run, what are you going to do with God at school today? Or when you're dropping them off at nursery? Or if you're speaking to your kids at university? Acknowledging that God is always with us, even if we're not asking those questions, but he's with us and we can make choices to ask him, ask him to help us know him in our home and in those spaces that we're going into. I wonder what might our community look like if we began inviting God to constantly meet with us or began asking him to make us aware of how he's meeting with us in our everyday, inviting him to change our hearts so that others would see him and be changed too. So coming back to our passage, we have this community who are spending time with God and they're drawing others in because they're seeing that they're changed and they want to be changed too. And then in verse 22, the church in Jerusalem hears about it and they decide they're going to send someone in to check it out to see what's going on. And they choose Barnabas. And in fact, Barnabas' real name is actually was Joseph. But Joseph was such an encourager of the early Christians that they dubbed him Barnabas. They renamed him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Just imagine that. People saw Joseph coming and they were like, here comes the encourager. What a reputation. And he was known also for his generosity, which you can find in Acts 4.36, his reliability in Acts 11. And Barnabas was a good man, a man full of the Holy Spirit. He had this incredible reputation and they decided we're going to send him, we're going to send someone really good to go and encourage those people and to find out what's going on. So Barnabas arrives in Antioch in verse 23 and it says he was glad to see what God was doing and he encouraged the people. And when I first read this, my initial thought was, we should pray that God would enable us to see the grace of him at work in others like that. But the more that I looked at this, I thought, and was thinking about looking in on community, I thought, what about if actually the first thing we prayed was, God, would you allow others to see your grace at work within us? If rather than thinking about what everyone else was doing, saying, God, I want to be so sure of what you're doing at work within me, and I want that to be what other people spot when they see me. If our focus was spent on spending so much time with God that his presence in our lives was undeniable, that it was completely visible to others. If we continually invited his hand to be at work in our community, asking him daily to be transforming us if we ensured the community that we were inviting other people into was a place where they would definitely see God's grace at work, where they would feel God's presence, if it was a place where we saw more people come into and choose to believe and turn to the Lord because they saw that he was at work in that space. 
we can look to Ephesians 4, which is actually a verse I had in here already and then has been mentioned a couple of times this morning. Um, And in Ephesians 4 itself is almost like a model for church growth. So I'm going to read Ephesians 4, 1 to 6, and then 11 to 16, which says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then verse 11 onwards, which says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And I love that last bit. The whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. When we strengthen each other, the church family, the body grows and builds. When we seek to be in unity like this with one another, our community is is going to grow. If we make our aim to build ourselves into a community of strong, healthy Christians, as we grow, so does the body. And Barnabas knew this. He was hugely helpful to the church, not only through his teaching, but through his encouragement. He was drawn to believers who needed support, and wherever he went, he encouraged them. They were strengthened, and then others came and became believers too. Whether or not you're a fan of going to the gym, I know that many of us haven't been able to go even if we are a fan, I think it's an easy comparison to understand when we're thinking about this kind of growth. One person can start a gym, they can be on their own in this gym, but the more they work out, the more they will see results, the stronger they become. And then others will see how strong they're becoming, see those results, (laughs) and um, and they'll join in. They'll become stronger too by joining, by strengthening the community that's there, quite literally in this example. It brings others in, it draws others in when they see what's happening and see that strength that's building. And I think sometimes we might have a tendency to see encouragement as a small thing, perhaps not being something that's hugely powerful sometimes, but Barnabas's encouragement is so powerful In fact, we can thank him for much of the New Testament, given his encouragement of Paul and Mark. He spoke up for Paul when the early Christians were suspicious of him, and he remained loyal to Mark when others didn't. He encouraged and kept those men going, and between them they wrote 13 New Testament letters and a gospel. His encouragement was so powerful. Encouragement is powerful, and it it means to give others courage which is just an incredible thing to do, to think that we can speak words or do things that can give other people courage. 
And you may at times feel insignificant, perhaps too young, too old. There are so many things that can make us feel like we don't have the power to do that. But a few words of encouragement from you could have a huge impact on someone else's life. At the moment when perhaps we feel detached from one another, I think encouragement probably feels even more significant. A simple message to tell someone we're thinking of them or to thank them for something. A word of encouragement to our friend, partner, kids or parents. It's all so important and Barnabas is a great reminder of how encouragement is an incredible, powerful tool for strengthening others. So I wonder, just really simply, like who could you encourage today? Even in this moment, is there someone you thought, actually, I haven't seen them for a while, or I, you know, I wonder how they're doing. Who could you just send a message to, give a phone call to? Just even on the way home, could you, well, if you've not got your mask on, smile at someone? Unless you've perfected the smile with the eyes, which I don't think I have yet. <laughs> um, but who could you encourage in whatever way that's going to be? Barnabas encourages the church in Antioch, and he decides that he wants to encourage them some more. So he goes to find Paul. He went to seek him in Tarsus, where Paul has been for the last 12 years, and he would have had to look hard to find him, but he knew that Paul was going to be valuable to this community, to the church, and he knew that it was worth finding him. How incredibly powerful Barnabas' actions were for valuing both Paul and the church. Together, once he'd got Paul, Barnabas and Paul spend a year strengthening the church community, and Antioch becomes a centre for teaching, this strong place where people can go and hear about God's word. And it's here that we see Jesus' followers were first called Christians. Before this, in Acts, we've seen them be called disciples, saints, believers, brothers, witnesses, followers of the way, and Nazarenes. And now they're going to be called Christians, which is meaning of the party of Jesus, or almost Jesus' people. In those days, soldiers identified themselves under their general with adding the Ian at the end. So those under Caesar, for example, would be Caesarians. And so it was probably a term at first used to mock them, to mock the people in Antioch, but they liked it and it stuck. So they've become Christians. So now we've got this strong community called Christians. They're growing in faith and in number. And in verse 27 to 30, we get some insight into their practical giving as a church. It says, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And in other versions, this line in verse 29 where it says they each decided to provide help for the brothers can also be translated as determined, and it says determined in some other versions. So it's they determined to give. They hear through a prophet of a famine, and they decided, they determined to give. They gave generously, each according to their ability and faith, to meet the actual need that was happening in Judea. And it's this word determined that really struck me as I looked at this section. They determined to give. They saw a need and they decided, resolved, determined to provide help. How often, and I ask myself this same question, 
When we hear of a need, are we determined to give? Do we ensure we do all that we can to provide help? Or, if we're honest, do we say, I'll do it later, and then more often than not, forget or not get around to it? Or do we give a little when actually we think maybe we could have given more? Or do we have all sorts of reasons why we can't give now, but in the future we will be able to? I can think of many times recently of this last year where I've seen some of this kind of determination to give. I, um, I work for a charity that connects businesses and charities and individuals together in Reading. And sometimes we get businesses will come and they will say, I have got this pot of money, or we have got a team that have this day. And they say, we want to do something in the local community. Can you help us find something? And there is a determination in that, whatever their reasons, whether it's because of a CSR policy, I think we have conversations where you think they actually do really care about their local community, but they're determined to give. And I wonder how often do you say, actually, I've got a whole day here, I'm going to find someone in need and I'm going to give to them. And we, um, we've had a road WhatsApp that got set up at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and we see it in there again and again. Someone will message and they'll say, I'm going to the pharmacy, does anyone need anything? I'm going to the supermarket, does anyone need anything? They preempt the need. And even actually just before I came up here, someone who has an allotment said, I'm, I'm going to bring a bag of salad back, does anyone want it? I'll drop it off. Um, and there is this kind of determination to be able to provide something for the people in our local community just down our road. And I wonder what it would look like if we were a community truly determined to give to those who needed help. If our aim was to make a strong community that drew other people in, but if we also went out to share what we had with those in need. If we heard of a need and we actively sought to meet it and to go above and beyond it, even if we deliberately went out seeking people in need, wanting to help them. What if today we were able to say, actually God, everything I have is yours, help me to be able to share that, to see, to see everything that we have as something to help other people in need, like they did back then, the way they shared their resources. If they had too much, it was given to someone else. What would it, what would it be like if we started to think more like that and just rededicated our stuff over and over again to God? What would our church be like if we became a community totally focused on growing the amount of time we spent with God, in growing our strength in him, in growing in encouragement, and growing in our determination to give. What would that look like to other people? Would we see more people believing and turning and joining our community? And I'm just gonna give us a moment just to pause and reflect on all of that. A moment to reflect on what it is that God might be stirring in you this morning. And there's a, a few things that I feel that God might be saying this morning, and there will be so much more that he is saying to each of you. 
But I think firstly, for anyone in this room or watching this at home, this, our community feels detached and dispersed at the moment, but this is for everyone. You are all a part of this community. So if you're watching this at home and thinking, I don't know how I am, can be part of that community, I would encourage you this week to choose to step in because this is for all of us, whatever it looks like we're meeting. This building isn't our community, the people are. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna pray into that. God, I pray this week that you would remind us that we are part of this community because you love us and because we have chosen to turn to you. God, that it is not about a building, it's not about the place that we live. God, it's about our hearts connecting with you and our desire to be so close to you that others are drawn into that. God, I pray that you would help each of us this week to help draw people in who are feeling detached within our community. And God, I pray for anyone who feels like that this morning, would you enable them to feel like they can connect with someone today? And I'm gonna pray for those kind of key points that I talked about in the sermon. God, I pray that you would be with us. God, would our desire be that we are so focused on spending time with you, on seeing your hand at work, that others would be drawn in. And God, would you make us a people of encouragement? God, would we walk into places and people say, oh look, there's the encourager. I know that they encouraged me last time and I, I, they're known for encouragement. God, would we be those people that yeah, encourage wherever we go? And God, would we become a people determined to give? God, would you help us to hold our resources lightly? Would you open our eyes to where there is actual need, whatever kind of need that is? And God, would you change our hearts to help us be determined to give, to love, to seek out people within our community who need help?